So I try to be laissez-faire and kind of go with the flow, but oftentimes I'll run into a situation where I have uh, done my best and nothing I do can overcome the obstacle, and uh, I think that's God's way of reminding me that He's the one that overcomes ultimately. And this morning was no exception of that. In fact, uh, if you don't know me, if you're new to here, uh, we have five kids, seven years old and under, and as we were trying to get them ready to get out the door, uh, my wife has desperately wanted to, to come to the early service today and check out what's going on. She sometimes doesn't make it to the early service, uh, and it's because we just can't get out the door, you know? And so I was trying to stay behind a little bit extra and help, 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 and what I was doing was getting frustrated because my kids were, were not doing what they're supposed to do. You ever been there before? Okay, I was trying to, to get out the door, help them get out the door, and I was like, don't you want to go have fun? Don't you want to go be with our faith family? And there's a couple crying over here, and there's two that are ready, and one that's just, I don't know where they are, which is hard to, to gather them together. And in that moment of frustration, at some point, as they were losing their cool, I lost my cool too. Bet you've been there before too, right? Now, I'm here to repent before you that I sinned this morning before I got here in a big way. And I, I'm not, it's not funny. I mean, it is funny, but it's not because I, I think that it's amazing how we expect things to go a certain way and that we want the best for certain people in our lives and we love them very much, more than I can ever articulate, more than I can ever uh, say to them. I love my children. I love my family very much. But in the moment when they're not doing as they need to, what's best for them, I get so frustrated that leads me to sin. Isn't it good that we have a God who created us and loves us? He created us because he wanted to love us, not because he needed us. And in the moments in which we frustrate him, it does not lead him to sin. It's impossible for him. He cannot sin. In fact, no matter what we do, no matter how we do it, God does not get frustrated with us to the point at which he does something wrong. He is always good all the time. In fact, this series right now is talking about that. We've titled it, God Loves You More. Again, that comes from the idea that usually when I leave the house, my kids are screaming at me, yeah, Daddy, I love you. I'm like, I love you more. No, I love you more, that kind of idea, right? But the idea is that God loves us more than we could ever imagine. God loves us more than we could ever love him back. And today we're going to talk about something that if you're not exactly ready for this by kind of getting your heart ready, I think by seeking the Lord and saying you want to know him for who he is and not how you might want him to be, if you're not ready in that way, it could be a very frustrating morning for you. I want you to take a minute with me. In just a moment, I'm going to read the passage. It's Ephesians 1. Turn in your Bibles. Go ahead and get there. Ephesians 1. And I want you to be ready because we're going to pray together. We're going to pray for God to kind of calm our hearts and clear our minds, to be focused completely on what he has to say to us in his word. And my challenge to you as we get going is to take a moment and let the Scripture speak to us clearly and directly. Let us just accept the Word of God for what it says. And if you have a struggle with that, I'm going to give you plenty of places in the Bible, not just the one that's our main text. In fact, today might be one of those days where you probably don't want to try to write down everything I say as far as all the passages of Scripture to look up because I'm going to go really fast through a whole bunch of them when we get to some of these subpoints and some of these backup things. And I want you to know you can listen to this online through our podcast. You can email me, thomasw at 12th.co. I will send you my full notes, okay? So you don't have to try to keep up. Just try to stay in the moment with us as we let the Word of God pour over us and the Holy Spirit push into us the truth of who God is and what He's done and what He's promised to do so that we might rightly worship Him. All right, so let's take a moment. Let's read Ephesians 1. Verses 3 through 6, we're going to be focusing on verse 4, but we need the context, and then we will pray together for that to happen. 
Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray together. Lord, you alone are the one who knows all things, and who knows all the right ways to do things, and who knows the best ways to do things. Lord, help us this morning not to try to discern whether or not your ways are best, but that we might discern whether or not we are aligned with you. For God, we know you love us more than we could ever, ever love you back. So Lord, help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, your Son, who did everything you ever wanted, who always trusted in you, and who loved you back because you also love him. Father, I pray that you put that love within us this morning through your word, that we would be changed. We might see you a little more rightly today because of your self-revelation to us in your word. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go back and check that text out. I'm going to unpack last week's sermon in real brief time, and then we're going to just continue on into verse 4. Are you ready? One person. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, that word for blessed, when it's meant towards God here, is talking about worship Him, adore Him, give Him the blessing and praise and glory and honors. In other words, Honor, glory, praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, that we are blessed in Jesus. That's where all the blessing comes from. All we need, all we could want, all that we would ever imagine to have ultimately is found in Christ Jesus. So we are blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For we know that everything about the spiritual places, everything about the end of our lives here and forever to be with him is about being in the presence of God. For he said from the very beginning, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will walk among you. And at the very end of the scriptures in Revelation 21 and 22, we see that the new heaven and new earth is there, that Jesus has returned and brought us to be with him. And it says that God will be with us and he will be our God. It's about us being with God. It's about relationship with God and that we have been separated from God because of our sin, because of our being in rebellion to how we were made and what we were made for, to rightly reflect the perfect goodness and glory and holiness of God back to him and to the world around us. And we do not do that. We know we don't, right? If I asked every one of you, if you did that, you had to think about it. Have I, have I lied? Have I stolen? Have I cheated? Have I, have I done something that, that hurt someone on purpose? Have I done all those things? Then in your heart, have you done? Jesus takes it and says, in your heart, if you've lusted after someone, you've committed adultery. In your heart, if you hate someone, you've already murdered them, right? So we know we've transgressed the perfect law of God. We are not living up to what we were made for as we're made in the image of God. And so therefore... We don't deserve what he gives us in Christ, which is everything, namely himself, that we get to have God in relationship. And that is the best blessing he could ever give us. Again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
And he goes on to point one of these out. In fact, the whole rest of this, if you missed last week, verses 3 through 14, that's one long sentence in the original language. And this next few verses, all the rest of them, point back to this first verse about why we should worship God about how he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings. And now the author, Paul, is going to lay out for us what these blessings are in number in their most grandest forms. And he starts with this one in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Now some of your translations there would have in love connected to the next sentence before it, or after it. You see there? How many of you have a translation where it has a period before it says in love? How many of you have a translation where it has a a period after in love? Anybody? There's a few of those out there. You know what? In the Greek, yeah, in the Greek, it actually, it goes either way. It works with either one. Because in love, he predestined us for adoption. And in love, he chose us before the foundation of the world. I don't want to pick either one because we don't have to because both are true all throughout the scriptures. But how do we understand what it means when he says, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him? But let me back up and just walk through it again. So in other words, he's saying he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even, even this one, even as he chose us, that word therefore chose is the Greek word, which is eklegomai. You don't care about that. What it means, though, is to choose. And it's all over the Bible. In fact, the Hebrew counterpart to that word is in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, 164 times. That word is used every time to talk about a choice. It's talking about to choose. In the New Testament, it's used about 22 times. And each of those times, almost every one, not quite every one, is talking about God's choosing something. He's picking something. He's preferring something over something else. And almost every one of those times, he's talking about preferring you, who would be his if you're in Christ. One of the theologians that I like named Wayne Grudem, he, he kind of gives us a base definition. And you're going to struggle with this definition, and we're going to work it out in the scriptures. Are you ready? Here we go. Election, or that word eklegomai, where election comes from, the same word we use for like voting for people into office, right? To elect them, to choose them. Election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved. Not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. We went last week and showed this whole passage of Scripture that everything is about God's glory, for His will, for His grace, for His purpose, for His election, for His... All, all it's about Him. And it's all done for us in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, all throughout this whole passage. Everything for Him, to Him, by Him, through Him that's talked about in here. And we see election is no different. And what does that mean for us? Let me put it to us in one simple statement. If we're going to have one statement that you write down as your like one note, your thesis statement for the day, I want you to get this really clear. You're going to hear it over and over again. God chose you because he loves you more. God chose you because he loves you more. He loves you more than you could love him. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you more than you could ever earn. He loves you more than all those things. And so God chose you. Now, we've got to unpack that. Some of you are living in the tension. Part of me wants to just wait. Because it's good to live in the tension for a minute. You know, there's a lot of places in Scripture where things don't make sense easily. 
There's a lot of things in Scripture where things look like they're talking a certain direction and then it stops. And another thing talks in a certain direction and it stops. And there's tension between those two things, right? That God is love, but he's also wrath, right? That, that God loves us even though we're sinners and don't deserve his love. That God remains just, although he forgives those who don't deserve forgiving. There's a lot of things in tension, and at the heart of that tension is Jesus, who makes all things work. And I want us to see how that works today. I'm going to give you a plethora, right, a very large number of verses today that I want you to be able to go back to. Don't try to run down. You probably won't be able to keep up. Some of you don't take that as a challenge. I know some of you will try. Luke 18, 7. And will not God give justice to his elect? to his chosen, who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I want you to see it's all over the scriptures. Mark 13, 22. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. He's talking about the end times. There again in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 31 goes on, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, his chosen from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. John 15, 16, and 19, Jesus talks about it in a different way. He's first talking about his disciples. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, in my name, whatever you ask him in my name, he will give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He says, if the world hates you, that it has, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He goes on, Acts 13, 48. This is after there's been a lot of people come to faith, after the gospel's been preached, after Jesus was raised from the dead. And here we see this stated in the text. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many who were appointed to eternal life believed. Romans 8, 29 through 30 puts all these together. For those whom he foreknew, and that foreknowledge is always in relationship. It's not about foreknowing what somebody's going to do, although God knows that too. When it talks about the word to know someone all throughout scriptures, it's talking about to know them in a personal, real way. Like Adam knew Eve, right? In a personal, real, relational way. He said, what then shall we say to these things? Oh, sorry, go back. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It goes on, Romans 8, 31 through 30, and says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 2 Timothy 1, 8, 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. First Thessalonians 1, 4, and 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. 
2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, the chosen exiles of the dispersion. He goes on in chapter 2 and he says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In other words, taking all those other races that were out there. He said, no, 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 we've called you out of whatever your background is. We've called you out of whatever your religion is. He says, you're a chosen race now, citizens of the kingdom, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Listen, God didn't choose you because of your righteousness, because of your goodness, because of your ability to, to live up to the law. God chose you because of his righteousness, because of his goodness, because of his perfection. God chose you because of the ultimate perfection of Jesus who died in our place that we might be brought together back to God because he paid the price for our sin that we should have had to pay. And so we are chosen because of God's goodness. And God chose you because of his righteous love for you in Jesus. Because he loves you more than you could ever love him back. And we know that because none of us are able to continually love God every day, every moment, right? I didn't this morning. If I had, I would have loved my children differently. God loved me even though. We oftentimes tell our kids, no matter what you do, no matter what happens, we will always love you. And that's the way God loves us, but we don't always fill that out because we are sinners. We are unable to do that. Look, God chose you because he loves you more. He didn't choose you because you're better than others. He didn't choose some and not choose others in that sense and say, oh, it's because you're so good. It's because you're so much better than, than the person down the street or because your neighbor God chose you because he is better than all others, and his love is better than all others. That's why we say he loves you more. 1 John 4.19, that's one you can write down. 1 John 4.19, really simple and clear. We love because he first loved us. First. First, preemptive love. He doesn't love us because we first loved him. We love him because he first loved us. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite old day guys, you've heard the name if you've been around for a while. If you haven't and read him before, you need to go read him. There's a book called Old Paths, and this is one of the second to last chapter, I think, in that book. It says, it is cold comfort to be told that God never thought on me before I repented and believed, but to know and feel that God had purposed uh, purposes of mercy toward me before the foundation of the world, and that all the work of grace in my heart is the result of an everlasting covenant and an eternal election is a thought full of sweet and unspeakable consolation, a work that was planned before the foundation of the world by an architect of almighty power and perfect wisdom is a work which will never be allowed to fail and overthrown. How do you think that we're held tightly by God? It's because he's the almighty, Right? How do we think that we will never be out of his grasp if we have been made his? Because he's the one that holds us there. Because he's the one that overcame our sin. Because he's the one that paid the price in his son Jesus. It's all for his glory that he chose us when we were unlovable. He loved us when we were not lovely. This is where we, we give him the glory for it. We don't take it on ourselves. He chose us. We've heard this even growing up. If you've been in church around these parts... You must be like me and probably heard at some point, we like to say it in these terms, we like to say it like this. You know, you need to repent and believe, and you'll do so when the Holy Spirit moves on you. Right? When the Holy Spirit works in your heart, you'll, you'll turn to him, 
and you'll believe on him. And some of you may say, I've never even heard that, but let me just take you back to the moment, if you're a believer in Christ, when you first came to know God, and you'll remember that the working there wasn't because you sought him out on your own, it's because God caused things to happen in such a way that drew your heart to him, and that you turned back to him. Experientially, we know this is true. We know it's true. And don't, don't, don't hear me right now. I'm not negating responsibility. We'll get to that in a minute, but right now we're on the glory of God, and that's first, right? That's first. Because what he is utmost concerned about is his glory. What he's utmost concerned about is his name being made much of. And that's good because he, he wants to elevate the greatest thing to the greatest place. And he is much more wonderful than we are. He's much more beautiful than we are. He's much more loving than we are. Remember, God loves you more. And he chose you because he loves you more. But doesn't the Bible say that he wills to save everyone? It does. In fact, let me give you a couple of those verses. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, Paul says, same author, right? Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9. Peter says it like this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Yes, it is true, God desires that none would perish. But none of us in here argue that the scriptures are clear that some will perish. This in itself is not an argument against God's election, against God choosing us. It's just stating that he really wishes that all would repent and believe. All would come to know him in a real saving way. In fact, that J.C. Ryle guy, he goes on and says, the doctrine of election was never meant to prevent the fullest, freest offer of salvation to every sinner, all of us. God wills to save everyone, but only some are saved. The problem is not so much about his election. The problem is how does that work, right? How does that work? Look, God is good and holy no matter who is saved, no matter who is not saved, because he's the only good and holy one. Put it to you a different way, right? That God is good and holy no matter what happens in our sinfulness. Wouldn't you say so? Yes. You lied. Is God less holy? No. You did something bad in your previous years. Does that mean that God's not holy? No. What if somebody dies and go to hell? Here's the, the real truth about that is that that person deserves that. That's hard to say out loud. The real big truth we need to understand is that we all deserve that. Every single one of us deserves that. Listen, Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they've become worthless, no one does good, not even one. The same author, Paul, through the same inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, he goes on Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 8, 7 through 8, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And we are dead spiritually until we come to life through the powerful working of God and the the movement of the Holy Spirit through the gospel, the good news about Jesus. He's talking about all of us before you come to know God through Christ. That's who he's talking about. Some say, that's not fair. I understand. When I first came to understand these truths, it was unfair in my mind. And I hated it. I could not reconcile a loving God with the God who would allow these things. But the truth is, it's fair. 
What's not fair is that he saves any of us. Because none of us deserve it. Jesus Christ, what's not fair is that Jesus Christ, worth more than all of creation, who has always been good, who has always been right, who created all things, therefore he's worth more than everything that's been created, that that one who is all perfect came and lived and died in our place so that we could be brought into the family of God. That he had to die so that we could be brought in when we don't deserve it. He deserves the glory. He deserves the love of God. He deserves all those things, not us. And yet he gave himself so that we could be brought into the family of God. That's what's not fair. That's what's not fair. And if you know the Lord, you know that to be true. You've experienced, you live it daily. This morning I realized it was not fair that my kids would have to have me being not fair to them. But God's grace is good and sufficient. That in him we have forgiveness. In him we have change that comes through the powerful working of his work. But God's righteous demands that all be condemned because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus overcame that. Jesus died under that. Jesus lived the life we could not live so that we could be brought into the family we do not deserve because he overcame the death that we should endure. And instead, he drank all that wrath and all that death down for us, died in our place so we could be brought out of that into victory over death because it's his victory in Jesus alone. Praise be to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That is good news. That is good news. Look, if you are in Christ and God chose you because he loves you more than you could ever love him in your sinful state, we prove it every day. I proved it this morning to myself. You still don't like it? Let's go back to what Tracy referred to with the children this morning. If you want to turn anywhere, turn to Romans chapter 9. We're going to try to cover this in fast. So get Romans chapter 9, and we're going to hit on a topic that a lot of us probably don't want to read, but it's here, and we're going to deal with it. In fact, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, Paul is expecting our problems with this. Romans 9, 10 through 13. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that, that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, But because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Take that in for just a minute. He didn't say, now this is God speaking to us clearly, and he didn't say, let me go back and read this again, make sure we're clear. Though they were not yet born, verse 11, and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, because of him who calls. In other words, he didn't look at them and say, oh, they're going to do this work, and so I'm going to take this one over that one. Or he didn't look at them and say, oh, because one's good and one's bad. This is because of God's purpose of election that he would do that. Today I'm going to ask you to worship the Lord, not because of how you want him to be, because of who he is. I want you to worship the Lord. I want you to understand that he's beyond our understanding and that everybody deserves hell and damnation, yet he saves some and he chooses we based upon what we do not know. In fact, but keep going, Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? Paul's asked the question, what do you say then? Is there injustice on God's part? That's not fair. Why would he choose some and not choose the other? Why would he love some and not love the others in that way? This is what the question is. Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, he says. 
For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So that it depends, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he's prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. He said, who is God to do that? He is God. That's who he is. And we will worship him for who he is, or we're worshiping a false God that we've made up in our minds. Brothers and sisters, do not worship a false God you've made up in your minds. That's what God is railing against all through Scripture, that we would worship a false God. And we don't like it. We don't want to see brothers and sisters be without the Lord. And we don't know who will be without the Lord. We have no idea. But we know that God's grace works in ways that are beyond our understanding. In fact, Paul just talked about a story. I'm going to hit it really quick. If you go back to Exodus and you go back and see about Pharaoh, where he talked about Pharaoh there. If you go back and read, it's really interesting when you read the story about Pharaoh. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, God says, let my people go. He says, if you don't do it, I'm going to bring hail. I'm going to bring this plague of this. I'm going to turn the river into this. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to kill the firstborn of all the families of Egypt if you don't do this thing. And what you see over and over again in that text, pay very careful attention, it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the next it'll say, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it'll say, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then it'll say, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. You see, what I think we see in the scriptures is that when God's grace is cast toward those who have not been brought to understand by the illumining of the Holy Spirit, by bringing into faith, by those who have been chosen by God in that sense for the purpose of, of his love and mercy and grace, when his grace shines upon it, it hardens the heart. Think of it like this. Think of it like, this wonderful Alabama clay that we live with. And the real rich black soil that some of you aspire to have in your gardens. Right? That same grace of the Son of God, I mean S-U-N, Son He created, that shines light on this earth in a, in, a, in a material way. When that sun hits those soils and things are, are good there, what happens to the black soil? It's made richer and things grow up out of it. What happens to the clay? It hardens and becomes brittle. God gave grace over and over to Pharaoh, over and over to Pharaoh. Repent, repent, repent. Do what I tell you, do what I tell you. And Pharaoh kept saying no. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's where that, don't know how that works, but he's God. And here we see the same thing here. As we give out the gospel calls, we speak of the glory of Christ and his excellencies and his perfection and his holiness, especially in his death for us on the cross. Some will hear that and they will turn and believe. And they will trust in the Lord with everything they have. And they will be found to be in him. And they are the elect. And those who do not repent and believe, those are the ones who are not. 
And we don't understand how it works. All we know is that we don't know who they are until they profess Jesus. And that's why we give the gospel to everyone. What we do know is that God loves us more than we can ever imagine. And God loves us more, and he shows that by choosing us. But God is infinite. His mind and will are beyond our understanding. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says it like this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God's choosing you does not destroy your responsibility to choose him. Let me make that clear. Everyone in this room has a responsibility to repent and believe. You're like, well, if God chooses, what does it matter? I don't, I don't know how that works, but the scripture says you need to repent and believe. Jesus commands people, repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. Be baptized. Repent and believe. Turn away from those things. Turn to the Lord. He says it over and over again. He wouldn't say that because it's tongue in cheek and he's trying to just make us feel good. It's real. It's there. I don't know how it works. I just know that both things are true. That God chose you, even as God chose you before the foundation of the world, that you would be holy and blameless. Get that? That you would be holy and blameless. That you would be perfect, without blame. The problem is we're not. So what does he do? He sends Jesus. He chose us and then chose to send his son to become one of us so we might be brought into that family because he is blameless. And now when he died in our place on the cross with our sin upon his shoulders, when he looks at you and me, he doesn't see our imperfections. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our rebellion. He doesn't see the things that make us deserve hell. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. We are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And we are brought in because of that so that we have been made holy and blameless. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless in Christ. In Christ. Man, that's something to worship over. I can never do it. I've never been able to accomplish it. But Jesus did it for me, and he deserves the glory. And I've been brought in because he chose me, not because I'm choosable and lovable, but because he loves more than I can ever imagine. God loves me more. It doesn't change our responsibility. Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Yes, everyone, whoever believes in him, whoever does it, will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John 5, 39 through 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Anybody in this room, any of us that depart to be separated from the love of God for all eternity, it's because we have refused him. It's because we have refused him. That's why he goes on. I'll say it a different way. God chose you because he loves you more, so choose God and love him more than you did yesterday. Listen, if we really understand this to be true, if we really understand how this works, and let me just back up one more time and say this is really important. I want you to hear what I'm saying. We are so good and okay with what God did in the Old Testament when he chose some and didn't choose others. But it really is hard for us to do that here today. God chose Noah, not because he was righteous. Look at what Noah did. And his family, eight people survived. Everybody else gone. God 
God chose to take out the entire army of Pharaoh because of one bad leader, right? How's he okay with that? How are we okay with that? Listen, the whole point comes down to this. We worship a God that is all-powerful and all-knowing and is infinite, and we don't get it. But what we know is that he doesn't just leave us to our own, that he loved us so much he gave us Jesus. And he tells us to tell everybody about that so that everybody can hear the truth about Jesus, and we're going to worship him because he loves us more than we could ever love him back. He loves us more than we could ever imagine, and he's proved it in Jesus Christ, his son. Today I'm asking you to love him because he's given you Jesus. Today you might have heard this message and you think, this is crazy. I could never believe in that. I could never believe in a God who would do that. And I'm telling you that you're not believing in the God of the Bible because the Bible is clear that even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And every one of us has a responsibility to repent and believe. And those words in the Greek mean repent now and keep on repenting. Believe now and keep on believing. Never stopping, never stopping. Do you have choice in that? Yes, you sure do. Repent and believe, I'm telling you. Repent and believe. Turn to the Lord. Turn back to the Lord right now. Turn away from the sin. Turn away from the things that drag you down. Turn away from the things that go against him. Turn away from the things that would prove that you're not his. Turn to the Lord. Repent. Believe in him today. Please, Please believe in him today. You would not be here if he did not want to love you and let you hear the gospel. You would not be listening right now if he did not love you and want you to hear the gospel. Turn to Jesus today and believe on him for he alone is the only way. He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by him. Give yourself over to him because he's given himself completely over to you. Trust in Jesus alone. Amen. Amen. Trust in Jesus alone today. Don't wait another minute. You may not have. Another minute. For the hairs on your head are numbered. The days of your life are numbered. Repent and turn to Jesus today. Give yourself to him. Choose to love him right now because he's chosen to love you more. Choose to love him right now because he's chosen to love you more. I'm going to pray for us. I pray you'll respond during that time. We're going to have the Lord's Supper together while it's being passed out. Talk to the Lord. If you're with us and you're a believer in Christ, take with us, rejoice in what he's done by giving his body and blood for us. Let us partake as the church, as the body of Christ, as the family of God. And if you've not been his before, today repent, believe, and become one of his. For he alone deserves the glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has loved us and given his son for us. Offer his glory. He's loved us more and chose us so that we can now turn and choose and love him. Father, I ask that right now you'd work in our hearts, that you would make this real and true, and that we would know you, love you, and make much of you, and that you alone would receive the glory. I pray that you work in the hearts of those who do not know you, and that you would make all of those who do know you to be those who put their hope and trust in Jesus, your son, once again, those who don't know you, that they would come to know you for the first time, that you would make them not just knowers of you, Lord, but lovers of you because you've loved us like that. I pray that, God, as you do those things, that you would work in our hearts to know you for who you are and to want you and you alone. For, Lord, whatever you have shown yourself to be, you are the true God. And you've shown us to be a God who loves beyond comparison. 
Help us to love you back now. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. These guys are going to take this and hand it out. You're going to have this come in two cups. You're going to have one cup that's under the other, has the, the bread representation here, and one that has the fruit of the vine. Just hold them together in a moment. We'll take one at a time. We'll read some scripture and take one, and then take the other after we read more scripture. Take a moment now as it comes to you and deal with the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Pray. Confess sin. Turn back to him today. I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at Paul's words as he recounts the night when Jesus was betrayed and when he was with the disciples right before his crucifixion. And you got to remember the, the feel of that night. As he gathered with them, he knew that there was one there who would betray him. He knew it. And he knew that there were 11 others there that would go through just persecution beyond what we can imagine. Most of them end up dying for their faith being tortured for their faith. And he loved them. And he not only knew those things, he knew all the things they had ever done, especially the things where they had betrayed him and left him and abandoned him right before the cross that was coming down the pike, that was next. He knew all those things. He knew all the stuff that you would ever do, that I would ever do. He knew that's why he had to go to the cross, so that he could bear the weight of all that sin, so that we could be brought into the family of God because of his sacrifice in our place. And that as he gave this as a remembering act for us, he did so to remind us, not just of the things we've done, which is always present in our minds in these moments, but ultimately and more so to remind us that he loves us more than all that. That he loves us more than we could ever live up to. That he loves us more. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that, on the, Lord, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to pray for us one more time. Would you bow your heads? Father, I, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I thank you for one who would love us more than we could ever love back. Lord, help us to understand these truths which are so hard but which are so good for our souls to know that no matter what we have ever done, what we ever thought we could do, that you love us more. And you've chosen us not on our own abilities, not on our own merits, not on our good looks or lack thereof. You've not chosen us based off of anything other than the fact that you just want to love us. Help us to love you back, Lord, that you would receive the praise and the glory and the honor. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.